Uh, good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. Thank you so much for coming and being a part. We're kicking off a brand new series today called This First Changed My Life. So glad that you are here for the first uh, part of this series. Before I get into the series today, I have a really cool announcement, of course. Some of you already know what it is, but we have had two brand new babies born into our Neil family. Yeah. Evan, my son, lives in Corpus Christi, and his wife had uh, twins this past Thursday. Yeah, so they're really uh, excited about that. We are too. I remember uh, teasing him a while back saying, hey, why don't you just go ahead and have twins? I was joking, and uh, he called back and said, hey, we're having twins. I thought he was joking, and I said, oh, okay, sure, funny, funny, and then it was like, no, Dad, seriously, we are. So anyway, Caden and Cash, so they were born this past Thursday. Hopefully, they'll go home uh, tomorrow, so I can't, can't run by that without saying uh, congratulations to my son and letting everybody know, so anyway. All right, we're beginning a new series today called This Verse Changed My Life. Where we're going over the next few weeks is we're just taking a few verses that have deeply impacted us as staff members. Uh, Preston's going to come in a couple, three weeks or so, and he's going to present one. And I'm going to be sharing over the next few weeks just particular verses that came at a certain time in my life that spoke to me, challenged me, pushed me, changed me, helped me see life differently, myself differently, maybe marriage differently, God differently, whatever it is. And we just want to give that to you and just say, okay, here's some verses that have impacted us greatly. So I really encourage you to please be with us throughout this entire series. Each week's going to be a different verse. We're going to be jumping around in different places, but I think all of it is going to uh, move you along in your spiritual journey, help you, maybe answer some questions and challenge you at different places. You know, one of the most complex and confusing realities of life is experiencing undeserved and unprovoked pain. Now, some pain we bring upon ourselves through poor choices, but a lot of pain we don't. You go to a routine doctor's visit and you receive a concerning report and everything in your life is upside down. You or someone you love is involved in a car accident. You experience financial ruin due to the bad choices of other people. Your spouse walks out and your life is shattered. You lose your job and possibly even your career. You suffer infertility. You remain single, although you dreamed of being married. You wish you were single and you married poorly. You battle anxiety every day. You try to manage and sometimes you're successful and other times you're not depression. You have sinful patterns. You thought, sure, by now you would have already overcome them. And when we experience this kind of pain, it's confusing and at times faith shattering. Now today, I'm I'm certainly not going to uh, pretend as if I have experienced the kind of pain you've experienced. We have people sitting in this room, some people watching online who have gone through unimaginable pain. Pain that has wreaked havoc in your life, pain that has flipped everything in the wrong direction for you, pain that you're still trying to navigate through, work your way through. So I'm not going to stand here today and act as if, hey, I've been what, through what you've been through, so learn from me, because I haven't probably been through what many of you have been through. But every person goes through a measure of difficulty. As a child, my mother loved me. She did everything she could to meet my physical needs. She provided food and shelter and safety and transportation and clothes for school. And I have no complaints about any of those things. And she also did everything she could to meet my emotional needs and my spiritual needs. But I've observed 
pain has a way of seeping into your life even when everything on the outside seems pretty good. It doesn't matter if you live in a homeless shelter or in the suburbs, the back alley or a penthouse, born with a silver spoon in your mouth or a wooden fork in your behind. No one escapes planet Earth without scars. So trust me when I say I've had my share of pain and my share of disappointment with a few emotional and spiritual wounds to prove it. And for the longest time, I struggled squaring my faith with my failures, my trust with my trauma, my worship with my wounds, putting them all together and saying, how do I live life with this pain in the pit of my stomach, with this disappointment at the very soul of who I am and a God who says he loves me and a scripture, you know, a book that I carry and believe that says that all things are gonna work together. How do I rectify all that? How do I put all that together? So I, I did what I was taught in my faith tradition. I tried to pray it away. I tried to find healing and deliverance and freedom and comfort through all kinds of religious methods. Because, and and I'm not sure when this began, but somewhere back in my childhood, somewhere back in my young adult years, I began to believe a Christian meant living a constant life of victory. Like you just went from victory to victory, you went from happiness to more happiness, you went from spiritual growth to spiritual growth, peak to peak, you just kept getting better and stronger and you know, on and on it goes. And now if you would have asked me, had you gone back to my teenage years or gone back to my young adult years or even when I started you know, into ministry and you would have said, Scott, do you, do you believe Christians are supposed to live a life of victory all the time and you know, they're always supposed to be getting better and better? I'd have said, oh, oh no, I don't believe that. I'm, I'm, I know that Christians have a tough time and life sucks sometimes. I get all of that. But down in the depths of my soul, in the private parts of my life, I would have been praying for it. I would have been begging for it. I would have been searching for it. Because somewhere down there, I believed that I was supposed to live a happy, good, peaceful life because I follow Jesus. Now, I think part of that's human nature. I mean, we, we all search for a place of comfort and peace and safety and freedom. You know, water takes the path of least resistance. So even our human nature is always searching for safety and comfort and rest. So that's, that's part of being a human. And whenever you do suffer, it's also part of human nature to want that suffering to make sense. You know, yes, I'm going through a tough time, but here's the reason why. Yes, right now, the season of my life is really difficult, but I know why it's difficult. We like to have some sense of explanation, some sense of balance, closure, symmetry to what's going on in life. And, and, and somewhere, I think, in the back of our heads, and we certainly would probably never admit this, but this is just my observations, and Looking back on many, many years of following God, here's, here's how I thought then. I would have never admitted it then, but I'm far enough down the road. I can look back and see some weird ways of thinking. And I think there are some of you sitting here, some people watching. I would imagine that some of us, at the depth of our being, believe that God is a cosmic, good, loving, father-like genie. It's kind of magical. And he has a, a, you know, like a bottle he lives in, not literally, but we, we rub it through prayer. We, we rub it through coming to church. We rub it through tithing. We rub it through whatever it is that we kind of put on that list of what is religious things we're supposed to do. And if we believe enough and we pray hard enough and we give enough and we serve enough, 
then eventually we'll get what we deserve, peace, joy, freedom, healing. Or if we don't get those things, at least we'll get an explanation. God will at least tell us why we're going through this. God will at least explain to us what's going on in our suffering. So we may have to endure it, but at least we'll understand why. And if we don't understand why, then he'll take it away from us and we'll have a life of peace. But let's be honest. For most of us, we get neither. We end up with a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of pain. And we don't square it all. It all doesn't make sense. We still, some of us have been carrying questions for 25 years. Some of us have in our faith, almost like a rock in our shoe, we have a rock in our, in our faith. We're limping everywhere we go. And, and it bothers us, it just, it's, it's always there. Some of us never get out of the pain. We, we, we carry these questions with us and we have a faith that limps. We just kind of drag our faith leg with us everywhere we go. So, so what do we do? What do we do? Well, we got a couple choices whenever we experience complex and confusing pain. One, we can accept everything the way it is and deal with it. Well, it is the way it is. Life stinks sometimes, it hurts sometimes, I have no idea why, I don't have an explanation, it is what it is, I'll just deal with it, and that's what we've been doing. We've been dealing with it for a long time. Another option is to strive to see our pain, suffering, trauma, and questions from a higher perspective. And if you refuse either of these choices, the fallout is most often unbearable. You lose your faith, you lose your purpose and meaning in life, you just become bitter, you become sour if you don't go with one of these choices. Some of you have seen this cartoon on Facebook, you've seen it maybe on another social media platform, I've seen it several different times, and every time I see it, it makes me, makes me think of why perspective is important, and this is what this cartoon is kind of about. These two guys are on a train, one guy is looking at the wall, Everything in his life is bad. He can't see anything good. The other guy's on the same train, going in the same direction, looks out the other side of the train, sees beauty, sees, you know, outside, sees the sun. Same train, same environment, two different perspectives. Now, this is all setting up to get to this verse. I know that everything in life is not a matter of perspective, and I am not going to sit here today and tell you whatever you're going through, whatever pain you're going through, it's just a matter of perspective. I'm not going to say that, all right? But it does involve perspective, and you'll see how it all connects in just a moment, all right? Now, here's what I want to do. I'm just going to warn you as we get into this teaching, all right? We're going to go to this passage, a long passage. And I'm going to teach, kind of walk my way, not really teach, but walk my way through a long passage of scripture, and we're going to get to one particular verse. But we got to get a running start for you to really understand the impact this verse had in my life and how it changed everything about suffering and trauma and pain and all the different things that went on my life as a kid, as a young teenager, and as an adult. All right, here's the long passage. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, through 2 Corinthians 4, verse 12. So it's the rest of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4. This is a long and somewhat complicated passage, but context is needed to understand the main verse. So I'm going to do my absolute best to keep you engaged as we walk through this because I want to set up the one verse that changed my life. We're not going to be able to cover all of these verses deeply, but these verses add to the verse that impacted me. All right? Are you ready to go? All right, I feel somewhat encouraged by that. Okay. 2 Corinthians 3, 
let's work our way through it. So, Paul says, since we have such a hope, we act with great confidence. Here are the cliff notes on that. Paul is saying, because of what Jesus did for us, because of what he accomplished for us, we can be confident in our message. We can stand up with boldness and we can proclaim the good news of Jesus because of what he accomplished for us. Now watch what Paul does. He reaches way back into history because he's getting ready to make a huge point. He says, we aren't like Moses. We aren't like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites couldn't watch the end of what was fading away. Briefly, this is a reference to when Moses met with God on the mount and Moses absorbed a small amount of God's glory causing Moses' face to glow. It's an incredible story. Go back and read it when you get a chance. But over time, as it does with all of us imperfect fleshly creatures, the glory of God began to fade from Moses' face. And as it is with most of us imperfectly fleshly creatures, Moses didn't want people to see the glory fading from his face. So what did he do? He took a veil and he put it over his face to cover up the fading glory. Paul is saying that's not how it is with us. That's how it was with Moses, but it's not how it is with us. Moses lived under a different covenant. We live under the new covenant. We have the life of Jesus in us, and we do not lose the glory because the glory doesn't fade. Basically, Paul is saying we live an entirely different kind of world. We have an entirely different experience with God. Then Paul turns his attention to those who refuse to accept Jesus. He says, but their minds were closed. He's talking about people who, did, who refused to accept Christ. Right up to this present day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. In other words, whenever there's my Jewish brothers and sisters, who's Paul's talking about, they don't accept Christ. They don't believe he's the Messiah. And they don't believe he's the Messiah because there is a veil, not a literal veil, but a figurative veil that is over their hearts and over their minds, and they can't see the truth. And the veil is not removed because only Christ can take away the veil. But they reject the very one who can take away the veil. So here Paul is speaking about his fellow brothers and sisters who are Jewish. He is saying many of them don't want to believe. They don't want to believe because they have a veil over their hearts and over their lives. And because these people refuse to accept Jesus and instead they continue to follow religious rules and must-dos and man-made laws, the veil can't be removed because you can't remove the veil through religious practices. The only thing that can remove the veil is Christ himself. Verse 15. Even today, Paul says, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever someone turns back to the Lord, the veil is removed. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, or where the Lord's Spirit is, there is freedom. There is liberty. Now watch this, verse 18. Right now, all of us are looking with unveiled faces unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord as we were looking in a mirror 
we are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is saying we are unlike Moses. For Moses, the glory came and went. He was bright and then he faded. But not us. Paul is writing to the church. Not us. We live in a whole different world. We don't have to worry about the glory fading in and out. We're not losing the glory. Instead, we are increasing in glory day after day after day. I said all that to get to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Watch what Paul says. All that I've said, this is why. Now, I capitalized that. Paul didn't capitalize that. This is why we don't get discouraged. Given that we receive this ministry in the same way that we receive God's mercy, this is why Paul says we keep going, we keep moving, we keep faithfully preaching because we have something so much better than Moses. Instead, Paul says, we reject secrecy and shameful actions. We don't use deception and we don't tamper with God's word. Instead, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God by the public announcement of truth. In other words, we're not living covered lives. We don't have to live covered lives. We don't have to live hypocrisy. We don't have to fake things. We are living in the glory of Jesus Christ himself. We can live with our lives open, our hands open, and with confidence we can preach the truth. We have nothing to hide. All this is leading up to this particular verse I want to get to. You'll see in just a moment. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are on the road to destruction. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't have faith so they couldn't see the what? You got to get with me with this now. The what? The light. They couldn't see the light. The veil blocks the glory. The veil blocks the light. They can't see the light of the gospel that reveals Christ's glory. Paul is building an argument. He's introduced the glory, a veil, light. He's getting to a particular point. And then he says, Christ is the image of God. Verse 5. We don't preach about ourselves, Paul says. We don't preach about ourselves. It's not about my ministry or my church or my gifts. This is about Jesus and bringing the good news of Jesus to people everywhere. Now listen carefully. God said that what? Light should shine out of darkness. What is this referencing? This is a reference to God saying at the very beginning of creation, let there be light and there was light. Paul is tying the old to the new, the beginning of the earth to the beginning of Christ in our hearts. Quickly, let's make a detour to John, excuse me, John chapter one. Listen to what John says in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word, Jesus, was God. The word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the word, through Jesus. And without the word, Jesus, nothing came into being. What came into being through the word was life. And the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. Paul 
is beginning from creation, let there be light, to Jesus who was the beginning and is the true light for all people. In other words, in the beginning was the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was out form and void and darkness over the face of the deep and God said what? Let there be light. John chapter one, Jesus is the light of the world. He's connecting creation, old creation to earth to new creation in our hearts. This is really important that you see this, why? Because Paul is tying the beginning of creation, let there be light, to Jesus who was at the beginning and who is the light in our life. Now watch this. He is the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory and the face of Jesus Christ. This doesn't have the impact it did to the Jewish audience. Here's why. Paul is tying creation, Moses, Jesus, and us all together. And into a Jewish audience, this would have been explosive. This would have been a wow moment to his audience. This is a crescendo of Paul's argument. This is the climaxing moment of truth and knowledge and clarity. The people listening to Paul or reading his letter for the very first time would have been like, that's incredible. Paul has just tied the beginning of the earth and the light that came into the world. He's tied it to Moses who has a veil over his face hiding the glory, the light. He's tied it to Jesus who is the light of the earth. He's tying it to the glory, the light that's inside of us. Paul is making this incredible argument that rolls from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through the old covenant, all the way into the new covenant, all the way into our life. He is building the snowball effect. It would have made sense to a Jewish audience so much differently than us because they understood the old covenant, they understood Moses, they understood how all this was fitting together and Paul takes it and puts it together like a puzzle. Creation, Moses, Jesus, Paul, the church, you, me, everything is interconnected. But this is not the verse that changed my life. It's the next one. Paul says, take everything that I've said, all this grand glory, all this light, all this truth, all this Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis, all the way to John, take every single thing that I've told you, roll it all up, and listen to what Paul says in the very next verse. But we have this treasure in clay pots so that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us. When that scripture went off inside of me, when I saw that verse come to life for me, everything changed. Let me explain why. All that Paul just described, all the way back from 2 Corinthians 3.12, all the goodness, all the glory, all the truth, all the knowledge, everything is all pushed together inside of a clay pot. And guess who the clay pot is? You and me. Eastern rulers often placed valuable jewels in inexpensive pottery. 
and they would put it around their house. They would take gold and silver and priceless pearls and they would take all kinds of jewelry that they had collected throughout their lives and they would place them in these little cheap pots and they would put them around their house so in case someone would break into their house, they wouldn't go after the cheap pots. So they would hide the jewels inside the clay pots and everybody would just kind of walk around the house. They'd be lifting up different things, but they wouldn't think about all the pots. Sometimes they would take gold and they would melt it down. They would take silver and melt it down and they would pour it into these little cheap containers and they would set it around their house and they would leave it there and the gold would dry, cool down, the silver would cool down. And then if they ever needed the gold or they needed the silver, they knew which pot to go to. And once they poured it in, it couldn't come out easily. So they had to take a little hammer and they would have to crack the pot to get the gold out or to get the silver out. You see, when you and I look across this room and you look at me and I look at you, we don't see it. We don't see what? We don't see the jewel of Christ in us. We don't see the light of Christ that's in us. We don't see the glory that's in us for our wrinkled, sickly, balding, getting older, prone to sin, susceptible to colds and flus and discouragement and depression and failures. Cover it all up. Here's an easy way of saying it. The pot hides the glory. And the only way for the glory to get out is for the pot to be broken. I want you to imagine that you had a pound of gold and um, you melted it down and you stuck it inside of a cheap pot and you put it in your house. Then one day you realize your roof has a huge leak in it and you've got to replace your whole roof or your car goes out and you need a few thousand dollars to get it fixed. And your husband or wife says, hey, we got that gold that we melted and put into a pot. Oh, I don't want to mess up the pot. What well, with the pot? We found the pot, you know, at Dollar Tree. I mean, it's only worth a dollar or two. I mean, you know, the gold inside is worth about $30,000. Yeah, but I don't want to mess up the pot. I know, but what's inside the pot is a whole lot more expensive than the pot. We'll get another pot, but you won't get enough gold, another gold. The gold is a lot more valuable than the pot. If that were true, you wouldn't have that argument with your spouse. You would say, get me a hammer. And you would crack the pot to get the gold out. You would break the pot to get what's inside outside because what's inside the pot is much more valuable than what's on the outside of the pot. Let me show you something. In the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 7, God instructed Gideon to gather a hundred men, and he gave them a jar apiece. And inside each one of these jars was a torch, and the torch was lit. And they were instructed to march up to the Midianite camp. The Midianites were the enemies. March up to the Midianite camp, and at his word, all of them would break the jar at the right time, the same time. And when they broke the jar, all 100 lights began to shine. And when all 100 lights began to shine, the Midianites got so confused, they began to fight one another and ran away. The light was inside the jar, 
and the jar had to be broken for the light to be seen. One more. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, leprosy. During dinner, a woman came in with a vase, a jar, made of pure nard, a very expensive perfume. She wanted to anoint the head of Jesus because of what Jesus had done in her life. And this is what the scripture says. She broke open the vase and poured the perfume on his head. How did the perfume get out? She broke it. And then what was inside could get out. How did Gideon shine the light? They broke the jar so the light could get out. And I'm telling you, when this began to click in my life, I began to see all my suffering, all my trauma, all my pain completely differently. With that process in mind, let's read on with what Paul says back in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, we are experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Paul has just concluded saying two major things here. One, we possess, every single one of you who follows Christ, every single person who ever placed their faith in Christ, everybody who stands up and says, I'm gonna follow Jesus, every single one of you have a priceless treasure on the inside. And the priceless treasure has been placed inside a clay pot. And the clay pot must get smashed so what's inside comes out. Paul is saying, yes, things are hard. Yes, we're in pain. Yes, things seem unfair. Yes, we are being mistreated. But there is more going on here than you can imagine. Something greater is happening. Something is being broken in my life so that something much sweeter can be released. Something is being crushed in me so that the pure perfume can come out. The light can be released. The veil can be lifted. The light of Jesus can be seen. Paul goes on and says, we always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can be seen in our bodies. Notice the perspective Paul gives. The pain, the disappointment, the suffering is not in vain. It is not pointless. It is us experiencing a level of the death of Jesus in our bodies so that we can experience the life of Jesus in our bodies. There is no resurrection without a death. And it's on the other side of death we experience new life. It's on the other side of breaking, the light gets out. It's on the other side of the smashing, the perfume comes out. It's on the other side of the cross, there's an empty tomb. You know, one of the things that I wish I would have understood years ago, and I look back on my ministry, I look back 
on pastoring churches. I look back on all kinds of things and I misunderstood what the church was supposed to be. Some of that's my own fault. Some of that's just the way I was trained. For a long time, I thought church was about a full room. Pack a room out. I thought church was about people really excited about being there and giving money and coming and singing and inviting friends and all the things that go along with having this you know, great and exciting place. Let me tell you what, let me tell you a, a, a part of church I didn't understand. A part of church that I wish I would have understood. Let me, let, me, let me tell you kind of who you're supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be. This is not all of it. This doesn't encompass everything about being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, but it's a huge part of it. We are to be people who are broken and we're broken so we can be healers. We are supposed to be a group of wounded healers. People who have been through some things. People who've learned to depend on God when everything in their life has been taken away. People who've learned what it means to trust the hand of God when you don't see it. People who've wept people who've hurt, people who've got up after being knocked down, people who have some spiritual and emotional and maybe even physical scars to prove the journey they've been on, but also they got some stories to prove the faithfulness and goodness of God. And we're to walk around and look for other people who are hurting and from our wounds bring healing. From our pain bring comfort. From our blood, bring life. What does that sound like? Jesus. The body of Christ in action. The body and blood of Christ. The body and the blood of us that brings hope and life and joy and peace and comfort and rest to other people who are hurting. We are to walk around as wounded healers. I'm looking at some wounded healers today. If we knew some of your stories, we would be shocked that some of you are even here. I don't say that in any kind of humorous way. I'm serious. There's some of you sitting in this room. If we, would, if we, if we knew you 20 years ago, we wouldn't believe you're sitting here today. If we would have known what you faced and what you've gone through, some of us wouldn't believe your marriages are still ha happening. Some of you have gone through dark nights of the soul. You've gone through pain that only you know. Depression where you thought you weren't going to live through the weekend. You've gone through grieving. You've cried. You've hurt. Your, 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 your eyes have been swollen almost shut. You've gone through some stuff. And you've learned. There's a crushing that's happened in your life. There's a breaking that's happened in your life. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bursting that's happened and out of it comes life, out of it comes joy, out of it comes genuine presence of God. Not fake, not hypocrisy, not hype, realness. Verse 11, 
We who are alive, Paul says, are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus? There you go. Bestseller right here. Let's write a book about that right there. We're always being handed over for death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life can also, the life of Jesus can also be seen in our bodies. There's an exchange going on. Our pain and suffering and trauma, they're not wasted. It's in the breaking, the busting, the wounding, the cracking, the shattering, we find the releasing of what's needed for other people. Last verse that Paul gives, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I weep so you can laugh. I fall down so you can learn to walk. I hurt so you can be comforted. I bleed so you can have strength. I die so you might live. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And folks, I don't say this in any kind of fake arrogance. God, please, I hope it doesn't come across that way. But this, you don't hear a lot of this in church. It's all about victory and it's all about you can have anything you want if you just pray hard enough and believe hard enough and lift your hands and believe, believe, believe. But there's something so much deeper. We gotta move beyond that kind of thinking and move into a place where we begin to be like Christ for one another. There are people waiting for you to look them in the eye and say, you know what, I've been where you are. And yes, it is hell on earth. And yes, there are times I wish I wouldn't have woken up the next day. Yes, I wish sometimes my life was sucked out of me, but I learned how to make it through. And God has been with me. And what I have, I give to you. I don't have silver and gold. As Peter says to the guy laying outside when he's on his way to the temple and says, bring me alms, bring me money. And Peter, I don't have, I don't have silver and gold. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have Jesus. You tracking, you're with me? See, this, this, this understanding of this process changed everything for me because for years, I complained about disappointment and pain and discouragement and battles with temptations and anxieties because I believed somehow I was supposed to overcome it all and live this life of victory and peace, have everything healed, be overcome, be happy, have my prayers answered. And just from here to here to here to here to here now, I see the breaking and the cracking and the crushing as part of the journey, a beautiful, sacred, hollowed part of the journey. So how do we respond, Scott? How do we respond? This is just really quick, real quick. Three things. You can change your beliefs if you want. When you go through tough times, you can say, well, I, I don't know. I don't think there is God up there. I don't think he cares. I'm just gonna change my beliefs and just there's no rhyme or reason to life. Life is just what it is. It's pointless. We just hopefully get through it. You can deny God is loving and powerful at the same time. You can say, well, he's loving, but he's not powerful, or he's powerful, but he's not loving. If that's what you choose to believe, that's fine. Or you can choose to accept faith as a mystery to behold rather than a problem to be solved. And I think that's what Paul did. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, 
Beautiful passage. He says, now, right now, in this life, where I am right now, now we see a reflection in the mirror. You see, when you look in the mirror, you don't really see reality. You see a very close resemblance to reality, but it's not 100% reality. You're seeing a reflection. Paul said, that's how we live right now. We don't see everything the way it is. We see everything the way it almost is. Then there's going to come a day, though, where the veil is totally lifted. Everything is bright and clean. Then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I've been completely known. Folks, there are some things you will never know this side of eternity. We can't. We are limited by our perspective, by time, by dimensions, by comprehension, by wisdom, by patience. There's just some things we're never going to know. So I, I picked up a few, two, just golden pieces of wisdom this week in my readings. I'm going to give them to you. We're going to pray. We're going to go. If you're new here, this is not going to start another sermon, I promise you. This is just quick. Two pieces of wisdom. Number one, remind yourself, God is at work even when my struggles don't go away. Dr. Larry Crabb, counselor, author, he passed away about a year or so ago, just a brilliant, wise man. He talked about his dad who was dying at the time. And Larry said his father was an experienced sailor and that old sailors could smell land before they could see it. They could see, they could sense, they could perceive something beyond what was in front of them, beyond their limits. They just knew that beyond that horizon was land. I could feel it, I can sense it, I can smell it. Part of what it means to be a maturing follower of Jesus is that you have an ability to sense that what's in front of you is not all there is. You can see, perceive, sense, land is ahead. What's in front of me is not everything there is, and it will save you if you can see that. And the second thing is be careful not to short circuit God's work. Dr. Larry Crabb also cautioned other counselors, and this would apply to pastors too, about focusing too early on alleviating symptoms. Symptoms are annoying, they're frustrating, they're painful, they're disrupting, but symptoms tell you something. Something's off. Something needs attention. You better pay attention to the symptoms so you can get to the source. We live in a culture today consumed with alleviating symptoms. We don't wanna know what's wrong. We just wanna keep numbing ourselves out. But I'm gonna tell you, this is a side note, free. If anything in our society ever tilts so much that our society, our people in this country can't get their numbing stuff, you're gonna see frantic, 
you're gonna see paranoid people, you're gonna see stressed out people, you're gonna see dangerous people because we live in a society that constantly numbs us out, numbs us out, numbs us out, so much so we don't even know what's wrong. That's another sermon, sorry about that, it's a rant too. Don't ignore the pain and don't hurry it along. Pain can be an effective stimulus for change. Well, Scott, I, I got to have a verse or I just don't accept it. Okay, okay. James 1, 2, last verse. You know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work. Something's happening in you. Don't short circuit it. Something's happening in you. Don't numb out. Something's happening inside of you. Don't cut it short. Let it have its work. Let the breaking completely happen. Let the crushing go all the way through. Then you can be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. When that clicked in my life, I saw everything differently. Instead of complaining, I started thanking. Instead of whining, I started to say, God, I don't want to go through it. It doesn't feel good. If I could get out of it, I probably would. But God, you got something going on here that I cannot possibly fathom. And I want it to have its full work. Let the presence, the aroma of Christ escape from my life. And the only way that's going to happen is for that old clay pot to be shattered. Let's pray. Father, this concept, this idea, this, this truth is heavy because, God, we want to get out of every single thing that hurts. We want to get out of everything that's confusing. We want to get out of everything that's breaking. We live in a culture that constantly preaches at us that we're supposed to always be happy, always be comfortable, always have all of our needs met. But, God, there's light in us. There's jewels in us. There's truth in us. There's your presence in us. And it gets hidden by this temporal, broken, banged up body. Our own ways of thinking and processing, our own philosophies and our own <sighs> habits and hangups and addictions. And God, sometimes that outer shell has got to be broken so the beauty that is on the inside can come out. God, teach us to sit in your presence and wait teach us to sit in your presence and allow it to have its work. Help for us part grow. Grow beyond the bells and whistles. Grow beyond all the hoopla. Grow beyond the crowds. Grow beyond just the people attending. Grow beyond the stuff happening up front. Grow to a place where we are a people who are wounded healers. Do the work. Do the work. So be it. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavy message. Take it and let it speak to you and through you. Have a good day. We'll see you.